coming at you from Scratch and Wolf Studios. It's time again to rage across the internet. It's your very favorite Werewolf the Apocalypse podcast. Sitting here in the studio, and to my left, we've got our producer, Daniel Transylvania Tyson. Hey, everyone. And, hey, look, he didn't have uh, he didn't have enough of us from last time. We've got our friend from Weaponized Inc., C. Grant Rose, here remotely. Grant, good to have you back. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks uh, for coming back, Grant. Yep, how are you doing today? Doing good. Having, having fun thinking of uh, werewolves and vampires and all that good stuff. Well, that's, uh, who, who can't have fun talking about that stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. Well, thanks, Danny. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I don't know who can have fun. How, how are you, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Okay. It's going to be one of those. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> all right. No, here we are. We're back. We're all together again and again. Uh, right here for the second week in a row. And that's, that's uh, without precedent, isn't it? Uh, I believe so, isn't it? It's like a, the, the, the back-to-back guest. Uh, I think we've done that before. Um, yes. Yes, we have. Well, thanks for elaborating. Danny's being helpful today. Chris. Chris. Everyone's Chris. What are you talking about? everyone's Chris. Son of a bitch. Game store owner Chris. Shit, you're right. Actually, he did it twice. He went back to back twice. That was some some inside baseball shit right there. (laughs) That's some old stuff. That was back in single digits. So this is a new era. But yeah, we are back. Um, And I guess before we we get to that, Mm -hmm. it's it's time for our... uh, Take care of some of that business. Yep, just a little bit. And uh, first of all, hey, um, the store, thank you for those orders, you guys. Oh, oh my God. Holy shit. We're, we're pretty happy yeah. with um, the response there. Yeah. Check <laughs> out the store. There's some always some cool stuff there. Uh, more stuff coming down the pipeline. Yes. Not this week, but... Probably next. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's I know there's some cool stuff on deck we don't want to spoil, mm. but the, the store will be there. And yep. um, it's it's now free shipping. And wow. that's that's everywhere. Yeah. It's a, it's a tweak we had to make, but, you know, bonus free shipping. <laughs> uh, you know, and hopefully, uh, as, as we're going on by the time this airs, we'll have some some posts on our Facebook group. People showing off some of that merch. Yeah. I know I know. there's a... I started a post showing off the mug and the shirt. And that's, uh, if you bought something, go to that group. Share the love. Show everybody what you picked up. Yeah, we'd love to see it. Love to see you sharing out. Share the love. It's all right. You know, we'd love to do that. It's a great way to show off what you have. You know, it's a great way to show the people the stuff we have to offer to see, look, look there's the quality in hand. There it is. Mm-hmm. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. You know? Well, you know, it's it's one thing to see, like, the mock-up of it. Then another thing to see, like, that mug. Mm-hmm. That mug is awesome. With someone, a picture of someone holding the mug. <laughs> right? And it's just 15-ounce, beautiful, oh, my God, that cup is the coolest. Yes. Uh, but we've got that, and that's... Coffee just tastes better out of an RAI mug. That is scientifically proven, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps not, but well, you can't prove it's not true. Yeah, <laughs> can't prove it's not true. So, good luck. <laughs> but that's that's one I would definitely jump on. There's some other cool stuff in there too. Yes, and we've got some other stuff we're looking to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll even let the cat out of that bag. We we are looking thanks to to suggestions from our Discord. We're looking to get our own RAA dice. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. We're still looking. It's not happening yet. We're trying. It's going to be like a limited edition kind of thing. Yeah, kind of like a pre-order, we're going to do this once. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing, but we're, we're looking at it. But yeah, you know, free shipping in the store. Most of the items. I mean, there's some that are only USA, unfortunately. I know there's an item coming out we can't ship to Canada. <laughs> so no, the shipping specifically to Canada is like 50 bucks. That's ridiculous. So, like, yeah, I'm not... No, I get it. Yeah, we, we just can't do that. <laughs> 
But yeah, check it out. Um, in the meantime, you know, keep those likes coming on. Keep those reviews coming on. Keep those, you know, five stars. Show us the love. Help us get into other people's ear holes. Danny, why did you write that? I, I did not. I can't believe you handed me that copy. <laughs> That's wrong. Don't you dare put that on me. <laughs> don't you dare put that on me. Everybody knows we don't script. <laughs> All right. Check out the website. Get on the forums. On those forums, the link to our Discord. Yes. Join the Discord. Hang out with us. Yeah, come hang out with us. Hang and out then, with Grant. Grant's, yeah. Grant's in the Discord all the time. Yep. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Which is awesome because then we can flip back and forth between our own and Weaponized Inc. Discord. I, I do that sometimes. Yeah. Oh, constantly. It's good conversations all around. It's true. And yeah. hey, when you get that link to the Discord, you can also get the 10% off discount code. That's true. That's uh, right up in store. our main chat assembly area, pinned right up there. For everyone to see, only for Discord members. Yep. And the Discord is free. All you have to do is Sign come to up. our site, join the forums, yeah. <laughs> and the only reason we make you do that... So you can see the forums. Exactly, because we got stuff there I think you'd be interested in. We want you to see it. So. We're, we're tricking you into being part of our forums. <laughs> ha ha. Not really a trick anymore. So we're a bunch of Shadow Lords yeah. over here. Well, Just participate, damn you. It, that's, all, that's all we want. Thanks, yeah. Grant. Be part of the community. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, let's. Uh, that's enough of that. That's enough business, yeah. Yeah, we um, we have something to talk about today, I guess. <laughs> well, it, it's an episode that I, I knew we were going to do from Jump Street, mm-hmm. but I was waiting for the right time. Yeah, and it never came. It took like sixty-five episodes to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we wanted someone who who could talk uh, who, from the other side of the conversation, right? Someone well versed in the information, and and we couldn't get anybody. <laughs> But Grant's well, here. <laughs> yeah. And Grant knows his shit. Yeah, that's true. Grant, um, why, don't I appreciate you, it. why don't you walk us a bit through uh, your credentials on that so people know that you know what the fuck you're talking about. Sure, no problem. So professionally, I'm an analyst. Uh, however, I've been playing World of Darkness stuff for about I don't know, 25 years. For a long, long time, since since first edition Vampire. Um, I have a pretty extensive physical collection uh, all the way up of all the main splats. Been running a Chronicle now, hell, for 15 to 18 years. Uh, I'm hell. also working on a lot of Storyteller Vault stuff and done a lot of collaboration and uh, edits of some real popular books. Been behind the scenes for a long time, but just now started, about the past year or so, started actually writing myself and pushing stuff out. Excellent. And um, do you have specific vampire experience in the writings, correct? Absolutely. Um, right now, I'm writing the book for Vampire 20th Edition, specifically focused more towards the Dark Ages Edition rule set mechanics for uh, Enoch by Night, which is the first city that was started by Cain. And for the werewolf listeners, there is going to be some, some definite interest in that because it bridges the gap between the end of the Savage Age and then the Dark Ages as it starts coming about. The Savage Age, I've heard about that. I don't know. <laughs> You've heard of it, huh? Just once or twice. Mm. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, that's really cool, the <laughs> fact that you specifically, Grant, get to bridge that gap. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for how much experience he has, and he's getting to write for Vampire, and he's also writing for Savage Age and Weaponized Inc., you are bridging that gap yourself. You're, you're holding on to both sides. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Chris really reached out to me to start looking at some of his Savage Age stuff, because he knew I was writing Enoch by Night, um, and most of my experience has been centralized on Vampire itself. So it, it made a perfect fit, you know, for me to reach out and actually branch out into that and start looking at it from the werewolf perspective as well. So it's definitely been fun, and it's been uh, quite interesting to start 
layering in some of the lore without compromising the vision of the lore itself. You know, because looking at the world from V20 perspective is drastically different from Werewolf 20. And while I think there is there's plenty of room out there for, for Dracula players, <laughs> and uh, plenty, plenty of room for the Savage Age. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Today we are Absolutely. we are talking about the leech. Yeah. We, we are talking about vampires in the context of World of the Apocalypse. I think we got to make that clear. We're not going on specifically vampire here. We're talking about specifically talking about vampire from the werewolf perspective. Right. This is not rule and vampire. It's like, eh, no, no, we're talking about werewolf. This is a werewolf podcast. I don't know. Right. I can't help you. I can't. can't I, <laughs> I mean, even if you could, you probably wouldn't want to, but. <laughs> so, so vampires. <laughs> I mean, they're all over the place. I mean, you, I mean, you can run when you kind of give me one, but it, but it seems you know with all, with all the desians of the world of darkness, you kind of can't get away from vampires. No, you know, and it, it's just such an obvious connect between werewolves and vampires, just just in folklore. I mean, big time. Yeah, you know, like, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's mummies and there's but you know and all that, but it's it's I think never, those are your top two though. Exactly, vampires and werewolves right there, and I got the order wrong, but. <laughs> <laughs> or best for last. There you go. <laughs> so how um how important would you say the vampires are to werewolf in terms of in terms of the settings? So I would say if you're looking at a modern werewolf game, uh, the the impact that vampires had on the world of darkness, kindred and the canines is what they call them within that uh, game setting, is going to be immeasurable. I mean, every city is going to have an impact from that splat based on what the vampires are doing. While you can run a werewolf game that's completely in the wilderness and completely in the umbra and far away from the cities, at some point in time, you know, you're going to have to deal with the weaver. And the weaver is firmly being manipulated by vampires in their warm state. We're, we're suggesting that vampires are manipulating the weaver. Absolutely. They're the ones that write the narrative. They're the ones that control the cities, the, the political structure, the social stratus, through second and or, th- third order of impacts of what they're doing and their own contestants against each other, and own contests against each other, excuse me. Yeah, they, they definitely change the lay of the land. Uh, all the politics and all of the world uh, in the world of darkness is manipulated in one form or fashion by a Cainite, by a descendant of Cain. Oh, okay. I, 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 I uh, mistook your meaning there. Okay. I, I thought you were suggesting... The vampires were literally manipulating the weaver, as in so, the, the, the god force, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so the I vampires the obviously there. can't access the Umbra directly themselves, so they're not going to be able to have a direct influence in the way you would understand it from Werewolf, but things that they do will have an influence. For example, Pentex. You know, they're, they're the, pu- the, the puppet masters behind Pentex, and we all know what Pentex is doing. Where you now? Where'd you come? Where'd you come up with that? So you have the board of directors from Pentex. You already have a member of the Sabbat of one of the vampire sects on the board itself. But even behind that, they're the the vampires themselves are the ones that control all the money. You know, they're the ones that have all of the control of the resources. They're the hidden hand behind corporations throughout the world. Well, that 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 um, it's surprising. Well, I kind of want to go bullshit on that. I, I, we have, um, and again, we, we're talking through the, the the lens of werewolf, right? Because that lore is going to conflict. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, you know what we know about Pentax, you know, and its formation, and oh, had I known we were going this way, I'd have grabbed that alternate path. But we know about Jeremiah Lassiter, okay, and the deal that he made 
with the beam. Yeah. Okay. You know, I don't see where the vampire correlates in in, in that. Um, you talk about control of an economy or something. That's that's a different animal, certainly. But I, I don't know if I would give such a big ticket antagonist like Pentex to go. Yeah, it's just leeches. Well, maybe well, it's not just, that simple. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe not, not just leeches, and I'm sure Grant's got more in this, but maybe it's a handful of them that are you know, more working behind the scenes. Right, right. So the way the way the vampires work is is fundamentally different than werewolves. Absolutely. You know, the the leaders of the different clans and sects and then political groups of vampires themselves. They're they're behind the scenes and they're like third or fourth generation of of Cain, which means they're like the grandchild or the great grandchild of Cain, and you don't ever see them in the actual vampire game. They're the ones that are manipulating things through their successive children. Um childers is what they call it. And they're the ones that actually have control over things. They're the ones that you see in werewolf games. You see the, the new leeches running around, the real squishy ones that vampires just splats for fun out in the you know, city parks and things. Those are new vampires. They're the ones that hasn't been around forever. The ones that are controlling everything, they've been around since 6,000, 8,000 BCE. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, that's something that's um, always been a thing is the, is the power scale. Mm-hmm. Of, of the of the vampire. Yeah, the older they are, the stronger they are. Right, and you know, there there are, I'll use, I, I don't love the term, I'll use the term god tier. Vampires out there, certainly. You know, I feel like that's, I don't know how deep you want to go into that with, with werewolf, and at the same time, I, I can't imagine one of them equaling the power of the triad, because we're talking about the fundamental creation of the universe at that point. Okay, no, I right. see what you're saying. You know, I, I, right. like, I mean, and, as powerful as Cain might be, mm-hmm. Cain, if Cain steps to the actual worm, that's not, it's a bad day. It's a bad day in Vampire Town. So there's actually a, a story in the Silver Record where that actually occurred. The worm encountered Cain, and who, as you said, is, is a god-tiered uh, entity. And the worm actually ate Cain, and Cain basically carved his way out of the worm and walked off completely unharmed. Daddy's done um, that. The werewolf, what's that? Daddy's done that. Not... <laughs> In game, I mean, not... <laughs> no, not, not Danny. Tom did it. Oh, shit, you're right. It was a, yeah, it was a thunderworm. Fuck. <laughs> I'm off my game today. That's fine. <laughs> Little props to Tom. So, and, yeah, you're saying... That's actually the mythology that Werewolf has for the vampires and their origin is that that is where it come from, that the curse of uh, vampirism come from that first man that was eaten by the worm that lived. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty cool. Um... You know, immortality being you know, a gift and a curse kind of thing. Which which brings us to that Weaver versus Worm debate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that people oh. love so much. And some <laughs> right, people right. think I invented for some strange reason. <laughs> so they, they have it right there in the lore. It's right there in the silver record. You know, the tale of the bloody man. If the man is given vampirism by ingesting the blood and viscera of the worm, then he's definitively of the worm. Certainly, but the the fun thing to play devil's advocate here is that the silver record is, as all things, or mm-hmm. as most things in our society, down to the old tradition, where the Book of the Worm in, or the Book of the Weaver, excuse me, not in character, mm-hmm. but is a, here's here's a thing, you know, in our little box, read this information, okay. that says, well, vampires are for the Weaver. <laughs> now, those of you... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are people who think I started this discussion. I started this argument. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, and, and to them I say thanks for listening to the podcast, because I didn't even bring it up on the day. <laughs> or ever. Yeah, that was that was someone else who brought that up. Right. <laughs> but it, it's an interesting thing to think about. 
you know, um, it, it's my understanding that um, vampires, after a certain, have a certain level of humanity where they become immune to the effects of sense worm. So they mm-hmm. don't register as worm tainted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dana's looking surprised over here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. You, you can have vampires not register in sense worm at all, which Absolutely. Does, doesn't that contradict that story, but that is just a story. Absolutely. So uh, it, it's going to depend on how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it from the werewolf perspective, they're, they're going to be either completely of the worm or being able to be of the weaver based on what they're doing. And their supernatural origin is going to be whatever the oral traditions would say they are. But yeah, from the vampire perspective, if they're maintaining their level of humanity, which is how close they are to, you know, living to a set of morality and ethics that is almost more human than human, they would have a rating of like 8, 9, or 10. Like, Jesus himself was like a 9 on the humanity scale, you know. And 10 is just completely unheard of. So if you have a vampire that's running around with a humanity of 10, they're absolutely not going to register as the worm. They're going to register as something completely different. They're they're literally more human than human. So would it not be a vampire anymore then? They're still a vampire though. So they can't get around the state of being the, of what they actually are. But their, their aura and their perception and how they conduct themselves and the things that they do on a day-to-day basis uh, or night-to-night basis, so to speak, uh, outside of keeping themselves alive is, is just crazy... Ethically good. Thank Mother Teresa on crack. <laughs> well, I often do. <laughs> she, she wouldn't be Mother Teresa anymore. It'd be now, Danny. You um, crazy Teresa. I'm, I'm a little shocked that you didn't uh, pull the, your your white zombie reference when you had the chance to. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. Saw it in your eyes. You just said, "I don't know why you chose not to." Um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that just happened. <laughs> that just happened. No, you know, obviously, you know, vampires, leeches, they make, they make a great enemy on different levels right. for, for Garu. And I think that's great because of, of their age, the different in age and uh, difference in age and the diversity and the fact that they're everywhere. Right. You know, they, they make fantastic antagonists. But, you know, do, do we look at them as allies as well? I mean, I mean, there is that place for that enemy of my enemy is my friend. There, you know, you have, you have that room for the, um, the informant that you're manipulating that maybe you're not really manipulating. You're, you're you manipulating those, only for a short time until he thinks otherwise. Well, you get those fun games like cat and mouse, but but something that has always bothered me. Okay, All right, go ahead. Yeah, and, and we can help you out of this, Grant. Is, is you know when I was doing my research in the guilty for vampires because that was the one time I wanted to make sure I did vampires correctly. You know that was a chronicle about the conflict between. I mean, it wasn't. It was a, but the central stage conflict was, yeah, was about there, our main antagonists were vampires. vampires yes. Yeah. And so I wanted to do them justice, you know? So I picked up Vampire 2nd Edition. Mm-hmm. And it's the one that I have. You know, I picked up a, a couple source books and, and looked through shit. Mm-hmm. And, and something I found in all the research that I did is that vampires are supposed to be afraid of Garu. So, like, the werewolves are the boogeyman? Yeah. And, Absolutely. And, and in all of my experience as a storyteller, <laughs> and I don't just mean with my group's here, I mean, you know, for those, if, if it's been a while since I mentioned it, I, I was a, very much a presence in the old HTML chat days of the White Wolf chat rooms, you know? So I knew players from all walks of life, through all sorts of different games, and I have never encountered a player who role-played themselves to be afraid of Garu. What's up with that? <laughs> that really comes down to a lot of storytellers wanting to play their game and with their player characters on the forefront of the story. And it's hard to... 
really put your player characters in the forefront of the story if every single time they encounter a guru, they're, they're running or they're reacting in a certain way. And so, just like any other table, they're going to take a lot of leeway to kind of flex to make their story flow better. That's the primary reason I think that a lot of storytellers do that. Secondly, maybe they just don't care and they just want to be able to power max their people. It's, yeah, I would probably think more toward the second. Um, because, Maybe a little you know, bit of both, but... Well, you know, I can speak from, from experience as, again, telling werewolf, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the fun thing is we have Danny here who is a player in my game, so he can confirm or deny, mm-hmm. you know, that I have put you guys in situations where the proper response was, fuck that, I'm not going near it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. pretty much what happened. <laughs> and, and you'll see that with more experienced storytellers that have already built a story with, with multiple story paths that can take any player character contingencies into place, or they're, they're skilled enough that they can react on the fly. Myself, for example, whenever I storytell and I'm having Guru enter a vampire game, I actually make them roll uh, a modified delirium table like any other mortal, and I give them a couple points automatically towards the willpower uh, percentages and stuff like that. And then whatever they roll is how they're going to instinctually react to the Guru. Now, because they're supernatural entities, they can, you know, roll again to overcome it and act in a more normal way. But that initial reaction is going to go off that modified delirium table. That, that's, that's a neat little addition there. I like that. That's a cool idea. Just the, the, that player reaction thing. And I know it's, it's, it's the players. They're making that decision. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that there, there are plenty of online avenues, or at least there were. I don't, that were just the Wild West and do whatever the hell you want to anyway. It just always bothered me. That, you know, it's like, no, but here in the book, you're supposed to be, no, nah, these things, werewolves or the lupines are dumb. They're just dogs. That is not, show me in the book. Yeah, that is, in the book, you're doing it, it wrong. It doesn't say He's anything scary. about that, right? <laughs> he can just appear. And that's the thing, too. Um, in the, the story of Color's Companion of a Werewolf Revised, this is the one that comes with the, it's not the handbook, not the hardcover, that bad boy. Okay. But it's the little thin companion guy. That came with the screen. There's a section in that book. Talks about like the other pharaoh. Talks about mages and wraiths and changelings and vampires. Okay. And and I know we've talked about this, Danny. You know, and it's like what what the what the average Garu knows about vampires. Okay. Yeah, you're you're showing me that. It's a little small section. Yeah. It's what the average Garu says or well, thinks. And, and I and I what lo- they know. Yeah, and I love it because it's first of all, it's not all correct information. <laughs> it's not universal information, but but it makes sense that it's you're not sitting down with the leech going, "Hey, tell me about your special abilities." <laughs> this is an interview with a vampire, you know. So you're you can only pick up what you learn in the field, mm-hmm. or what you can maybe an observation. There, there's a limit to your information. Yeah, no, I, I get it, and and I that has to that. work both ways. I was going to ask, does that go with what? vampires are told and in their lore yeah i i feel that there has to be a vampire equivalent to that of the this is what we we have gathered that isn't isn't necessarily true tell me that's the case grant yeah that that's absolutely true so the different vampires have the, the clans they have different understanding of what guru are based on uh, their interactions with them uh, so you have a particular clan that is called clan gangrel that spend a lot of their time in the wilderness um, they know a lot more about the guru than the average vampire. Same thing with uh, the followers of Set, because uh, their their progenitor, uh, the vampire Set, who was the grandchild of Cain, he's the one that actually cursed the Silent Striders and banished them from their their homeland to the Umbra. That, that's uh, and right. Prevented them from. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. He's the one that yeah, uh, he cursed yeah. the Silent Striders. So. so, and that would make sense why 
you know, when we say that the what the average Garu would know, that your average Silent Strider might know a little bit more than just that. Well, and, absolutely, know, yeah. And I mean, you go back and you're right that you know that that curse came through. That was because of Set and the um, the laziness of our of our former friend Shu Horus, <laughs> your buddy. <laughs> Remember the guy who defeated Set but chose not to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> or even attempt to. He Just had, he, stay there. Right. Look, Union said he needed a coffee break, so <laughs> you don't mess with the Union. So he just didn't finish the job. <laughs> you were so right. happy with that. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and, and, if you, and if you look at the vampire storyteller companions and books and things, they give this insight for the storyteller uh, in a vampire game to be able to really draw some differences in the understanding of Guru. But from their perspective, they don't understand none of the, the spirituality or the animism that, that pervades the Guru culture at all. They just see them as, you know, wild, roving beasts that can kill them on sight if they don't take precaution. Well, and it was something cool that I was that I was learning. Like I said, I was doing that research for, for the guilty. And my understanding, you got to remember, is my understanding before that of, of vampires was, like, remarkably surface level. Mm-hmm. I had uh, watched a couple episodes of Kindred the Embraced. Oh, no. That was about the extent of it. So I don't even know what that is. You're better off, so, sir. Okay, well, thanks for yeah. letting me know. That was the Tori, or the Aaron Spelling 90210 <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade Show. What the that fuck? That is a are real thing, and I it? swear I'm not making it up. Oh, my hey, God. It is a real thing. <laughs> yes, We're all embarrassed. It's, <laughs> it's the 90210 of vampires. It's, it's bad. I saw a couple episodes because, hey, it was a World of Darkness show. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, oof. But, I, but, you know, there was my bare-bones understanding, and then, of course, my interactions with people, like, in you know, the old White Wolf chats, where no one was afraid of werewolves ever. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. But then I'm, but then I'm reading them, some of the source material, and, and there's a moment in The Guilty, I believe, and we will get to that, patrons. You're going to love it. <laughs> you know, where, where it's, where one of the characters goes, like, no, no, we're the boogeymen to them. Mm-hmm. And then you stop and you think about some of the things that Garu can do that, that seem mundane, to a vampire, you mean? No, 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 to, to Garu. Okay. But, but yeah. there's just, like, like let, let, me, let, me, let me spin this around to the other side, right? Sure. Like, we're sitting here, we're, we're the leeches club. Gross. Uh, yeah, I know. We, we've, got our, <laughs> we've got our blood pudding, and we've got our regular blood, and we've got our blood light, and we're hanging out. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got blood and more blood over here. And then we're just sitting around hanging out, and all of a sudden, a werewolf could just appear out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, just, and, he just went through the Umbra, but like a but, but a van, but a werewolf could just disappear, right? Because the and van- vanish <laughs> and show up somewhere else. Because your average vampire wouldn't even know. Yeah, what the Umbra even is. if you take out the Umbra aspect of it and look at how werewolves were portrayed in Vampire First Edition, which that was when they were really portrayed as the penultimate boogeyman, right? And they didn't have any of the Umbra shifting powers and anything else like that. Actually, Chris Gunning did write a, a book on that that's in the Storyteller Vault that succinctly details the werewolves in the vampire setting back then that way. But they, they're just roving machines of death that can heal you know, almost any injury that a new vampire can inflict upon them. So for you know, the average player character is going to be you know, the equivalent of a rank one werewolf, but in vampire form. So it's just like 13th generation, really weak. You know, slightly stronger than a human, got some cool powers, but they're nowhere near a match for the average werewolf. And they won't be for a long, long time until they get to be what's called an Ancelay or a Methuselah, which is like rank three or five comparatively. And then, and then the fun thing about that is, and I think because I think werewolves often get the short stick here. And again, that might just be my experience where, you know, but it's what I've always seen is that 
you got to remember now is that we're, we got to run. We got to run in packs. Packs. There's <laughs> it, not one. There's multiple. Right. But always. Know. And then, like, as the vampires leveling up, so are the Garu. And so these, ideally, five Garu mm-hmm. have also ranked up. You know, mm-hmm. as big and bad as this vampire is, well, now he's got to deal with the Silent Strider who has damn the Heart Flood. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the suddenly, average, you can't use the any average of vampire is not going to mess with werewolf at all. <laughs> what, say that again, Grant. I, I said the average vampire is not going to even try to mess with a werewolf. Avoidance is best in that in that category. So. Well, see, but around like the community, you don't see that. You don't hear about that. It, it's it's more of they're taunting the werewolves. So it's it's nice to hear it, and it's kind of why we're talking about it at all, right? <laughs> right. So, like I said before, I, I think that's a lot of it has to do with the storytellers wanting their own story to flow better, and it's it's much harder to have a story that can be easily derailed over and over again by the presence of another supernatural in their game, or and this is arguably more common, the storytellers don't care and they just want their players to be able to power max and then max their, their characters however they want. Which so. I feel, I mean, I guess people are having fun with that, but I feel that's a shame because, you know... I, I mean, mean it, it can be, yeah. Like, I mean, again, as a storyteller, you know, I said, you know, I, I've put these guys in situations where the proper response is to shit your pants a little bit and go the other way. <laughs> right. You know, in fact, the, our last maybe chronicle... We, yeah, I was going to say, maybe we... Might have shit our pants. We didn't go the other way, but we definitely shit our pants. You, you, you guys ran afoul <laughs> of a dormant Nexus crawler. Right. And, you know, when it's still in its black shimmer form. And, and, and the funny thing is, is you had Tom, if I remember correctly, Tom mm-hmm. was blurted, was scouting ahead and saw this thing. Yeah. And then he all, because he's sitting there observing, because he didn't know what to do now. Like, shit, this is a, and it's close. And now I don't want to move at all. Like, he's in that mode. <laughs> Did it see me? Yep. Is it gonna? Am we I gonna? Oh to, shit! What do I do now? We need to get the fuck out of here. And, and then he sees a black spiral dancer come up from a tunnel, mm-hmm. like tunnel up twenty feet away from it, and also flip out and go back down the tunnel. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it's like no one wants any of this. Right. We're, we're giving a little uh, extra info for patrons. Oh, here, but that's hey. like two years away. I know. Nice call forward, everybody. <laughs> but you know, so I, you know, I think it's it's good to have have things be scary. Yeah, you know, your your character should be afraid of stuff every now and then. I, I, I totally agree, and I think a lot of the issues come from the fact that the splats weren't really mechanically designed to work together. No, that's you know? true. So, and and I guess that that might be for the better. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if you if you had a way that everything was balanced in a particular way that. It'd be one system and everyone could, but at the same time, now now we've gotten to this great pissing match and we're all measuring. Right, and, and that, that doesn't seem right at all. That doesn't sound like fun yeah, at actually. all. And they, they tried to do that with the New World of Darkness, with uh, the, the newest splats, but there was such a spark, uh, excuse me, what's what I'm looking for? A departure from what was established in the Old World of Darkness that it just didn't really take hold with the uh, older fan base. Well, there was, I think there was a lot of reasons that that didn't happen, but that's a different show. It's a different show. Yep. Leave it at that. Yeah, I think, I think that's the best thing to do. <laughs> we have opinions on that here. Well, <laughs> no comment. So how do you think the, um, what, what, what are some of your favorite ways you think to incorporate vampires into a werewolf game? So, I'm going to look at it from one of... Well, the first thing I want to look at is I'm going to see the story I want to say and how experienced my players are at the table. So, if they're really experienced, especially if they're experienced in multiple splats, I may possibly do a one-on-one where 
we have two different games, one from the Vampire 20 perspective and one from the Werewolf 20 perspective, and they both run in the same setting, like the same chronicle, same story. But the players will run a werewolf character, and then the next week they'll run the vampire character that's also operating in the setting. So you're going to run those two stories parallel to each other. Absolutely. And what they do will have an impact on each other. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, that, that is that's really a cool. That's cool idea. <laughs> I was, I was going to give like a fun joke, backhanded compliment on that. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, take a shot at vampire at the same time. But that was just really too cool. But right, right. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's only for experienced players. Because they have to be able to play not just one splat, but two. Right. Right? So for people that are just comfortable with werewolf and only want to do the werewolf, and we're just using vampires, I'm going to default to the way that the vampires are really detailed in the werewolf core book. I'm just going to make them, you know, worm beasts, kind of like super-powered Fomori or super-powered Banes, that they have to deal with. And I'm going to ramp them up for the difficulty of the encounter based on what I need for the story. Interesting. I'd say it's a very simple solution, but it's... I mean, but there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone can do that, which is probably good. You know what I mean? That, that's, yeah. that's. No, I like how he's talking, because if you're running them parallel, and then, you know, story B gets so far ahead, that's going to impact how story A finishes. Certainly. But Absolutely. And vice versa. But you have to play a vampire now. Yeah, unfortunately. But, I mean. <laughs> that's but mean, again, that's, well, that's, that will be my problem. Yes, but again, yours, if he's talking specifically. About, yes, I know. We mean specifically you. Yes, I know. Because, yeah, there are plenty of people who play multiples, and, and for those few, that's a great idea. And that's kind of my point there, is if he's playing it with who people who are playing multiple games, yeah. and who are well-versed in both these styles... Do that. Yeah. Do, do, do right. what Grant told you to. Do right. it, because Grant said so. Do what Grant said, because he said it. Yeah, alternatively, if you have a storyteller that's buddy of yours that's running Vampire, you two can run your games in the same setting and then just coordinate in between sessions say what did your people do this is what my people do and then the pcs of one game are the npcs in the other and vice versa also good stuff cool definitely i can see that happening so i mean it's it's what you want to do with it honestly no i, I mean i agree you know i mean we look back to the the, the guilty which again is ongoing for for our patrons mm-hmm. you know they they um actually just got part uh, three of the guilty today mm-hmm. So congratulations, guys! I can't wait to bug you about that later tonight. <laughs> but where and the rest of this week, All right? All right. But and you know, then the- you have the third option, which is crossover. I know that's kind of a bad word in the community, but you can do crossover too. I mean, yeah, sure, you could do it, but how many people are going to be fans of it? There, look, there's people out there. People watch the Michael Bay Transformers movies. There's something for everybody. <laughs> So it, it's, it really depends on how you do it, and it really takes an experienced storyteller to make it fun for everybody. Because as you've, as we said, there's such a power imbalance to werewolves versus the natural state of vampires that a one-for-one is, is going to be really, really uneven. So whenever I've done something like that, because you, know, you always have players that want to do something crazy, I've always homebrewed some extra you know, bells and whistles for the vampire to make them at least roughly on par to the equivalent rank uh, guru that's going to be in the pack. So, you know, like Gangrel. Gangrel have a discipline called Protein, which allows them to grow claws and inflict aggravated damage. You know, I'm going to automatically give them three dots of Protein so they can do that, regardless of their character build. Just so that it's... They roughly have some physical capabilities to keep them on par with uh, the guru in the game. Which I can understand, especially if, you know, it's an older vampire. Obviously, the older, the stronger they are. Again, it should be a... 
a scary thing. Now, if it's like a newer vampire, then why would they even be bothered? Absolutely. You know, and that's why crossovers get such a bad rap because they, they try to shoehorn stuff in and it yeah. just doesn't work because it's not designed to work that way. To say, it sounds like if it's just shoehorned in, it's kind of more of a uh, slap in the face to the actual lore. I, I could see it because, I mean, there's a level there, and I think it also creates problems if you're fun. Because here's the thing, right? I'm, I'm running, I'm playing this game, this, this crossover game, I'm sec- Segment Rainmaker. Mm-hmm. All right. Everyone's favorite vampire hunter. You're welcome. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and then you, you Grant, let's say you're the storyteller, you, you've devised this, this way of which I am working with this vampire. Well, my solution is, is to kill him and then have a sandwich. And I've done my duty for Gaia. <laughs> and I could see where, you know, if I'm a storyteller and wanting to put a narrative together, that's a problem. Right. However, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, you look at that as, well, that's disruptive. It's not disrupt- disruptive gameplay because it's what naturally Agaru would do in the situation. Right. And, and that's really what it comes down to uh, the storyteller being able to be flexible and understand that if you, have an, if you have a storyteller that's really incorporating splats, they need to be intimately familiar with both splats so they can make those determinations and keep the game going the way it's supposed to go while the player characters are operating the way that the game and canon lore is designed. I mean, that's, that means just flat out sound advice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd put it on our dangerous don't list, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's if you're going to do it, make sure. I haven't busted out the dangerous don't list in a while. It's been a while. Yep. Yeah, so, <laughs> so for example, I've ran a werewolf and vampire and wraith crossover game. Um, oh, all three? And that took so much extra research and so much planning to make sure that everything was lined up the way it should be. And there was no real problems with the crossover and players didn't get dominated by other players from a different splat. So it definitely takes a lot of time, more time than usual. And an experienced storyteller will already tell you that it already takes a lot of time to prepare a game. So, so did I you don't have, exactly advise it. So did you have players from all three of those factions? Absolutely. All three Holy different games Holy and all three interacted crap. in the same story setting. And yeah, it was a, it was a hell to manage. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I would not. So yeah, I commend you, you for it, yeah. but like <laughs> Jesus, that's not an endeavor I would do. So you, yeah, better man than I, I was a victim of my own uh, <laughs> own interests at that time. I decided to, hey, I, I like Wraith. I've never played it before. How can I get my guys to play this game? Well, we already play Vampire, and this group wants to play Werewolf, so I just do it all in one time. Yeah, that was a stupid painless. move on my part. <laughs> <laughs> Quick and painless. That's yeah, that's the way. Oh yeah. man, that's. The more you learn, yeah, right. yeah, true. So I let that be a lesson. Uh, some of you folks out there don't don't dangerous don't list. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> now you talked earlier about mm-hmm. the the manipulations of of the higher level leeches and how they can potentially be behind everything, right? Uh, when we look again, as we're looking through the lens of the Garu, do you think that's necessarily something that you should we should be doing? Or do you think that's maybe distracting from the finer points of Werewolf itself? Absolutely not. I think that uh, it is definitely within the wheelhouse of Werewolf to go after one of these puppet masters behind uh, the money and corporations in the world. Especially if you have a glasswalker or two in your in your troop or in your tribe packs. Sorry, I'm getting my uh, terms mixed up. So if you have a glasswalker that's in your game, you know it's definitely going to be right up their wheelhouse because... The leech that's over the city where they're, say, they have a cairn in the, the city park, 
you know, that's going to be their penultimate bad guy to go against because maybe he is trying to do away with the park, which would wipe out the cairn, and then there you go. So you already have your, your, your big bad guy right there, already located, easy to, to point at, and easy to try to figure out when it comes to being a storyteller and developing your story. And you don't feel this maybe shorts the other more world-specific threats? <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, because you have so many different types of things that you can focus on in a werewolf game. As I said before, you can have a werewolf that's doing nothing, a werewolf game that's doing nothing but fighting against black spiral dancers the entire time. Um, and then you can also have a game that they're going into the Umbra, they're doing all kinds of crazy quests in the Umbra. And you can have a Silent Strider game, which their entire point is trying to break the curse, which would also have some potential uh, leeches involved in that game. So you can do whatever you want with it, with the, the game, in accordance with the lore. You don't have to do it all, though. You know, you can only pick. You can pick one thing and run with it. You don't have to do everything in, in the lore. No, it's understandable. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of storytellers get caught up on that. That they try to do too much instead of just writing a good story for their players. You know, because there is so much in the setting, in werewolf setting, and it's so layered and it's so rich and diverse that you know you can go into tribal politics, or you can go into human versus wolf politics. You can go into kinfolk concerns. Then you have Pentex, then you have all the crazy war going on in the Amazon, and then Black Spiral Dancers, and then, you know, you go into the tribe-specific itself, you know, Silver Fangs and, and their, you know, genetic insanity, you know, weaknesses and mental instabilities, you know, and so there's just so much that storytellers often, they, they overwhelm themselves, they overwhelm them, their stories by trying to write a story that's too global instead of, you know, to a point. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to agree. Something I decided to do at one point, or rather maybe decided not to do, so it was, it was something I've noticed not only in, in gaming but in various forms of pop culture, is when you have a series of something, this need to keep upping the ante. And um, right. it's it's something that I feel is a terrible mistake, and it's a, tra- it's a trap is what it is. You're trapping yourself. Right, because now you're always... You're always going to make that one guy, the bad guy that much harder. Right. It becomes ridiculous really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, if um, I, I look at something like 24. Oh, the TV show. Yeah, the, yeah, okay, the, 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 uh, sorry, the old the old show with Kiefer. Uh-huh. You know, is an example of that to where, oh, it's where we got to stop the terrorist plot. Well, now we have to, it's season two, so now we have to stop two terrorist plots. <laughs> and it's season three, and now the president's in space with C4 down his throat. Right. I mean, you're going to jump the shark eventually. Right. And then it's season four in the sun's mad at us. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? I mean, there was there was a season of that show in Intermarks. It was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like the guy had like this damaged heart. This was an ongoing thing. Okay. Because of, you know, whatever superhero thing he did the previous season. But like now he had been undercover as a heroin addict for like three years and then got over his withdrawals in three episodes. Wow. Perfectly. He got his 90-day chip in three hours. It was crazy. Good for him. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and I remember that was something I sat down specifically with, with this group here, with, with Danny and Tom, mm-hmm. and I think Jessica at the time, and I said, look, we're, we're not doing this thing where we're, we're going to up the ante every time yeah. because, you know, again, the sun's mad at us. That's where we're going to end up. Yeah, what are you going to do? You know, it's Chronicle 4, right. punch the worm in the nose. No. <laughs> And, yep. and a lot of that storyteller inexperience. Yeah, every storyteller's had it happen. They've had a story that's gotten out of hand, and then they lose control of it. And then some storytellers never play again because of it, uh, or they never storytell again, or they they sit back and they learn what went wrong. 
I hope it's that last one. Yeah, you know, definitely. That's what that's what we want for the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, Absolutely. we talk about ring the bell, you know, and, and remember, it's good enough, it's not good enough, push yourself to do better, <laughs> you know. And if you were wrong the first time, now you know what not to do the next time. Exactly. You learn right. from it, you move on. But yeah, you know, I think that's a huge mistake. And again, it doesn't just happen in role-playing. No. You know, 20, yeah, I, I mentioned 24. How many, um, and I know there's plenty of people out there, how many enemies is that the plot of? Is it they they fought the bad guy, then they fought the bad guy's boss, and the bad guy's boss, and then they fought God, and then Super God? Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, we talked. We did that early <laughs> on episodes with Supernatural. Yeah, Supernatural is yeah, another they great. They fight one. a demon. And yeah, that they, that was the big enemy. Was, was a demon yeah. one. And then the next season was a few demons. And then like the, end of the, the end, fourth season, they killed the devil. Yep. And then at the fifteenth, they're exactly God. Right. <laughs> Right, like, what are you going to do at that point? Exactly. Yeah, you can't go any further, and they're talking about doing, like, a revival, like a reunion. Well, that show's been off the air for 20 minutes, so of course. <laughs> Can we let anything breathe anymore? No. I mean, I love Supernatural. It was such fun to watch, but, or some of them at least. Yeah, at a certain point, it's just like, really? Are you really going to go there? All right, whatever. Yep. And then when they do, and then they continue to go on farther, then what? Yeah. And then they so surprise the you again. the circle, um, the way I'm writing Kane and Enoch by Night is nothing like Kane and Supernatural. Just so everyone knows. All right. Well, now we know. So, <laughs> how, do you want to tell us how you are writing him, then? Uh, pretty close to uh, the lore. Um, there's some there's some bangs and whistles in there to make him more pertinent, because he has been... He's not just a normal vampire. He's the first vampire, and he had a lot of experience... In the interim, before he created other vampires with the other supernatural denizens of World of Darkness, you know, like every splat has some type of myth that describes Cain in one form or fashion. And so a lot of those stories are going to be coming from his travels, which I'm going to hint on, but that's not the focus of the book. So Interesting. And you said that was Enoch by Night? That is Enoch by Night, yeah. Okay. Now, if you're bringing that up, do you bring Abel up at all? Yes, to the point. I'm, so I'm just that's <laughs> I'm I'm just curious at that point because obviously with the story of Cain and Abel, I just assumed he was dead and that was his part of the story. I, I mean, <laughs> so. I mean there, that is pretty much the major the major <laughs> significant action for Vampire is that Cain killed Abel. You know, full mm-hmm. stop. That's what matters. Um, okay, but to the world of darkness as a whole, the killing of Abel had all kinds of crazy things that happened throughout that reverberated in other splats. So if you're looking at it from everywhere. the demon perspective. That's the one that caused the Holy War to finally become lethal. From the Wraith perspective, Abel actually became a Wraith that's detailed in Orpheus, which is like the post end of Empires of a Wraith. And so there's a lot more to it that I'm going to put a little sidebar for to explain. But for Vampire, the fact that Cain killed him, that's what matters. See, I, I, fuck, I fucking knew it. <laughs> I, I, I knew they'd turn Abel into like a spooky ghost. <laughs> They do it well, and of course they did. You just have to read Orpheus to find out. I, I, I mean, I believe it. It does not surprise me that let's let's make him a wraith. He could be spooky ghost. He's 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 the he's the guy for Booberry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Now, now this actually brings us to just the trickiest of subjects. Okay. In, yes. in, a, in a can of worms that I'm apparently opening for some dumbass reason. <laughs> well, we have a show to do, that's why. I, I, oh, I'm choosing for us to go here. You know, one of the things, you know, because we've talked about, you know, these these games weren't 
necessarily made to work together mechanically, but the world of darkness is one thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I appreciate how how deep each game, even if I don't know a lot about a game, I know that they do it because I know that's how White Wolf would do business. Okay. You know, and they, they have these, these deep lores for cre- these mythologies for creation. I, I knew a guy, we used to get into an argument, he was a, he was a mage guy. We used to get in discussions about how Werewolf was right and his mythology was stupid. <laughs> of course. Right? <laughs> Those might not have been the exact words, but... But close enough. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> of course. It's not even I'm right, it's just you're wrong. <laughs> I don't care if I'm That's wrong That's a stance you could take. <laughs> you know... <laughs> But, but, you know, I, I would I would point out that, you know, the Garu have the ability to speak to the spirits. Mm-hmm. That theoretically, right, you could go, hey, Gaia, what happened? And I get mean, an answer. Now, hypothetically, sure. <laughs> you, and, I'm, and I'm sticking with the term hypothetically. It's also on the dangerous don't list. Yeah. Don't try to summon an avatar of Gaia and go, hey, what happened last Tuesday? Don't. Don't do it. But theoretically. Mm-hmm. You, you have access to spirits who, like, were there. Yeah. And, Theoretically. Right. You know, and then you have something like Vampire, which is so deeply tied to the Judeo-Christian mythology. But, like, Gaia was first? Because <laughs> <laughs> they were on a planet? <laughs> I see where you're going with this. You see, yeah? You yes, see I do. <laughs> so there, there how, are... how do you link that shit together? So there's there's multiple ways that they've done it. There there's multiple perspectives. You know that they've taken the fractured cosmology perspective, where at the beginning of creation, God did whatever, and then because of the events that happened after, like during Lilith and Adam and Eve and all that Lucifer and, and God conflict, that it actually fractured the cosmos into multiple layers of reality. Or conversely, that made multiple layers of reality come together which is the way the world of darkness is typically looked at it. So before, back in the day, you actually had five or six different types of realities for each splat, and then because of this traumatic supernatural event, they were kind of ham-jammed together. That's one way to look at it. And then another way you can also look at it is draw the parallels between you know the, the concepts in the Judeo-Christian uh, religion with the animistic concepts that is conveyed in werewolf. Which is... Um... But there's an argument to be said that yeah. God is neither male nor female. So what's to say that God is not Gaia? And, I, and there's a point there. I mean, I believe that there was a section, I want to say, of World of Rage. <laughs> but we, we, but I think we all know how famously I... Confuse that one confuse with, that with the Storyteller's Guide? No, no. World of Rage and Rage Across the World. Oh. <laughs> Because how dare you name them so damn similar? <laughs> that I cannot tell those books apart. <laughs> so one of those... I'll be looking at them, and I still won't know that that's no, not true. <laughs> but but I, I think it was in that, and I might be, I might even have the wrong book. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it spoke about the idea of the, the Catholic priest, Bonar, I believe he was, who was trying to integrate the two mythologies. Really? Yeah. See, I didn't even know that. Well, mm-hmm. read either A World of Rage or Rage Across the World. Or another book. Or another book entirely. (laughs) It's somewhere in there. Books, check them out. Yeah, all of them. Until you find it. (laughs) We're just going to scoot past that subject now. (laughs) 
the authors at White Wolf have at various times tried to reconcile the conflicts and the overall concepts and metaplot. Sometimes they've done it decently. Sometimes they've sucked at it. You know, it's up to the individual storyteller to decide what's best for their game and to throw out the stuff that doesn't mean anything to them. You and, know, and it's your that, table. Oh, definitely. That's that's the best way to do it. And it's just, it, it always fascinated me that there are all the different mythologies and how like you could make the arguments. And, and just like you did here, you could make the arguments where they're, oh, no, they're all linked together this way. Mm-hmm. Or you could look at it like this way. Or you can go, well, because of this, so that it invalidates these three things. You know, I right. don't, it's not normally a subject I love to get into, you know, because people, Theology's get, deep. <laughs> yeah, and people can get touchy, you know, because it's like, I'm not talking about your religion. I'm talking about the fictional universe over right, here. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't want to go any talking deeper. Talking about the way than, it's identified in the world of darkness, which mm-hmm. is totally different from real religion. Right. This is, this is, we're talking about fiction. We're talking about vampires and werewolves for Christ's sake. <laughs> right. <laughs> See what I did there? Yep. Um, Everyone calm down. I mean, that's about as far as I want to get into that, though, because it's... Yeah, it's, it's, you don't want to get too far. Yeah, you know, but but I do I do think it's interesting, and I think in, in some places it can make a really good debate, or, or maybe, not, maybe not a debate. Okay. You know, right. a discussion. Yes, you know, those are much better. Right. You know, we've talked about the difference before, and yeah. maybe it's been a while, you know, like for a debate these days, that's... People get offended. Well, it's it's not even that. A, a debate, it's, it's pseudo-intellectual blood sport. No, I'm serious. You, you, you have two sides get together, right? Uh-huh. Let's say, you Grant, let's say for the sake of argument, it's you and I, werewolf versus vampire, cosmology, whatever, right? And so there's going to be uh-huh. the people who like me, not are like me, but just like me, or what I have to say, or just don't like vampire, and they're on my side. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have the people who, you know, adore you, or what you have to say, or just don't like werewolf, and they're mm-hmm. on your side. And the people who support you are going to agree with everything you have to say. And the people who support me are going to agree with everything I have to say. Yep. No one's going to listen to each other. Everyone's going to yell and walk right. away thinking they're the winner because their supporters are just supporting them blindly no matter what. Mm, sounds like something else in this world, but yeah. <laughs> Where yeah, a, discussion, I mean, it's, 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 mm-hmm. a discussion is about understanding the other person better Agreed. and understanding another point of view. There's not a winner because it's not a fucking competition. Right. It's just, yeah, it's disgusting. Maybe I have some information that you don't, and I'm letting you know about it. Or, or I feel this way, but again, the point isn't to try to convince the other person of anything. The goal is to try to understand that person, the other person, better, mm-hmm. and where he is coming from better. Right. The goals there are completely different. I won't debate anybody. I, I'll just walk away. That's a waste of my time. <laughs> I'll just have a discussion all day long. Right. It depends <laughs> if I can get someone's goat. If, I, if I've got underneath someone's skin... I'll let it ride until that truck wrecks. It's going to be hilarious to watch. <laughs> I, I take your point there. I mean, yes, people enjoy other people's. That's, I mean, that's productive in its own way. You know? So, I mean, if they're if they're unwilling to listen to my perspective and to at least give my research and and my understanding of a concept a little bit of credence, or at least you know the time of day to consider, even if they completely disagree with me, and then they get upset about it. Oh, that's just open game. I just, you know, what can I do to really make you mad? What can I really say to get you going? See, I can, I can oh. definitely appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I can, I, yeah. I can definitely see that. I, I just, you and know. at the table, at the table, that's that's one of the ways I'm going to get my jollies as a storyteller. You know, is I've got this player character, this player that's playing his character in a way that is whatever, and they're not listening to reason. So I'm just going to, you know, go with as much as I want to go with. Well, as a storyteller, you have that, right? I mean, 
it's your story. It's not theirs. <laughs> so I don't blame you there. <laughs> not at all. I, I have never understood the point of arguing with the storyteller. Kind of my point there. <laughs> because I'll have, I'll ask for something and you'll say no and I won't bother asking again. It's, I mean, why argue? It's not my story. Well, right, right. I think asking again later is a different thing. And in this case, we're talking about, hey, can I bring that, that strength up to four? Right. No, you can't. We'll ask later. Sure. <laughs> not ten seconds later. But like in a couple games, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And that's kind of my point. He can do that as the storyteller, whether it's vampire or werewolf. But still, Absolutely. You know, it's for that person to, like, this is not a, a debate anymore. Because this is my game. It's what I decided. You don't like it. Tough shit. All right. I, and, you know, that's it's a dangerous thing to say out loud to encourage people. But <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. Well, you know, there are people who will misuse that. Uh-huh. But I would like to think those people aren't running a table for very long. They will learn not to do that. That's not to, not to abuse that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But ultimately, yeah. What's this renown for? It's because I gave it to you. But what's it for? Well, you can take it or you can not. That's up to you. But I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> and as just you know, and as the storyteller, I get to do that. Yeah, no, it's your right, absolutely it's your story. You know, players have buy-in, but they don't have control over the narrative, right? You know, and that's that's the real hard for a lot of not a lot, but for some players to accept. Like, yes, it, you are playing the story; you have buy-in to the story. It is part of your character's story. However, as the storyteller, my narrative overall. Yep. One. But, you know, moving on from that, because we kind of, surprise, surprise me, we got off track, <laughs> you know? What? I don't know what he's talking about. Just I, don't know if, I don't know if you've listened to the show before. It's, it's all it's all twists and turns, just cul-de-sacs everywhere. It's crazy. But, <laughs> so we're to get back on it. When we're, when we're adding, you know, vampires to a game, you know, I've always said it, right. it's, it's important to understand your antagonists. And, you know, it's, it's fucking, it's paramount. It, it, it's not good enough that, that Lex Luthor wants to rule the city. Why does he want to rule the city? What's right. behind that? You know, there, there are thoughts and feelings and motivations. And if you don't know that shit, you can't write a thing properly. Yeah. So. I mean, you could. No, you no, no, you can't. You can write it, just not properly. <laughs> right. Okay, <laughs> I get it. You know, um, so Grant, what, yes. what is, uh, what's up with leeches? What, what is, so, uh, what are right, mo- right. what's a motivating so factor? If you're, go- if you're going to make them more dynamic than just, you know, Bane boogeyman that you're, pack has to deal with you're, you're definitely gonna have to go into why the vampires are doing whatever they have two main sects three if you want to go into the minutiae of the different uh clans of vampires one sect is focused on you know staying hidden from humanity as well as consolidating power and manipulating situations to get ascendancy over their rivers, right and those are the ones that run the big cities those are the ones that you think of stereotypically in a vampire game, you know, the ones that do all the politics and all that stuff and the, the city building and manipulation and all that type of stuff. They're the ones that you would see on the average, you know, vampire show or like Kindred the Embraced, as Porter mentioned, which is still a horrible show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you have the other sect, which is kind of the boogeyman, uh, which is the, the Sabbat. Um, they don't care about fact that humanity knows if they're around they want to revel in the fact that they are vampires and they're also the ones that believe that cain is a real thing and that at one point in time he's going to be like the dark messiah and come back and wipe everything out and cause the vampire version of the apocalypse um which is called gehenna those guys you know they're they're really awesome to add in as antagonists into a werewolf game because they're already super 
their, their abilities and their powers are super antagonistic. And their whole goal is basically to revel in vampirism. So they're really easy to integrate into a werewolf game because of that. They're unapologetically a vampire. So it really depends on if you're running a more social game or a more political game that you're going to integrate one or both of these types of vampires into your game. You, you mentioned a third kind, and you, you bring up the, you know, the Cameroon and the Sabbat. And, and to me, that's very, um, to, to equate it to fiction. Okay. You know, it's very, like, interview with a vampire, the Cameroon, very interview with a vampire, <laughs> or maybe... Um, Fancy. True, true Blood. Sure. Absolutely. Never watched it, so... Uh, that show cracks me up, because the fangs are in the wrong teeth, and they make these little tink sounds. It's hilarious. What the hell? Tink, my fangs are out. But anyway, uh, (laughs) I don't know why they chose that sound effect. (laughs) But, you know, and then you have the the Sabbat, and the first thing I think of is the Lost Boys. Like, I know they're supposed to be these big, scary antagonists, but to hear that described, that they want to revel in being vampires, that's just the Lost Boys. (laughs) I miss that movie. Which, you know, I mean, that movie's kind of cheesy, but at the same time... It makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah, what, what were they? I mean, we all remember being, you know, 18, mm-hmm. or 12 foot tall and vulnerable, only they're that forever. Right, so... Dude, that's <laughs> so amazing. If, yeah. So my, if you're going to incorporate them... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess my question is, you know, what about what about that third kind that, that we see right. in, in fiction, that, that um, 40 Days a Night? Oh, such an awesome movie. Yeah, you ever see that one? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, what, what, what about that vampire? That badass? Mm-hmm. Who, where, where's that badass? Is that badass in the masquerade at all? <laughs> there, there are. And most of those types of badass vampires, they're, they're kind of independent of the sex. They may have at one point in time been one of them. By and large, they're, they're independent. And then you can just run it however you want. There are vampires in the Sabbat which aren't really like the Lost Boys. Like, they revel in their vampirism, but they also have other concerns, like mysticism with the Abyss. It's, it's a prime tie-in between vampire and werewolf. So you have the La Sombra clan, which are vampires that can actually access, manipulate, and use the shadow stuff of the Abyss, as, as you understand it, in werewolf. And they actually can cause that, that material from the Abyss to do crazy things in reality. And they can walk through and basically walk through the abyss to different areas by going into shadows. So if you have a strong enough vampire that's behind the scenes manipulating the city, because they also do that, why not? You know, they can provide that, that type of antagonism with ulterior stuff to really attack the guru. Not only could they attack the finances to support the guru's kinfolk, but they can also use their discipline of tenebration to impact things from the abyss. Um, and that would be a, a cool asset to add to it. The third sect that I was referring to was the Anarchs. And they're really fighting against the Camarilla. They're, the whole concept behind that sect is fighting against the establishment. So I didn't really mention it because I don't think it's a real good, real easy uh, transfer into the werewolf. Because they're, they're just focused on overthrowing the Camarilla for the most part. I mean, it can be done, but you have to do a lot. I mean, that's okay. It's just a lot to take in there. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm hip to it. No, it makes for a cool, cool story. Very easy to use those as antagonists and give them their own background and dynamic why they're in that game. And again, that's, it's so important. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, if you're doing the Monster of the Week thing, and I mean, there's a place for that. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can even use 
in in some cases, you know, if it was a monster of the week thing. Right. But when you when you're telling you know something more long form, something with more depth, something, you know, you you need to understand your antagonists. Agreed. To understand how they will react, the plot, you know, how it will change the plot based on your, you know, and it's with a with Absolutely. an enemy like a vampire, you know, a a more um, a more canny foe, not just a shock troop, if mm-hmm. you will, you know, to understand the the thought process behind what they're doing, their their motivations, their mentalities. Absolutely, and if you look at the the, the forty days of nights type real vampire badasses, they're they're the ones they're like clan leaders. They're the ones that are like the the clan progenitors, the antediluvians that you know are kind of in the mythology of them, but. To, to really throw a, a scary storyline in there for you that would have an application in Werewolf, the clan progenitor of the Lasombra clan, he actually wants to bring the Abyss to the physical realm. He wants the Abyss to take over everything, to blot out the sun so that it, he can walk and do whatever he wants. It's, however, he'll be a literal god on Earth at that. So he, he's um, so, so the Nightmaster. I was going to say, so the, he's, <laughs> the Nightmaster's a vampire now? I guess the... the <laughs> yeah. He, the, the, he's the, been a vampire. The, the Nightmaster is Lamada. Holy shit. That's kind of cool. He's not going to bite on that, huh? That's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's you can really take it far. You have another line, the, the Zemisi, which they're all about becoming not just transhuman, but trans-vampire. They're trying to actually become something completely different. And they actually have the ability to manipulate flesh, bone, they can change someone's appearance by touching them, almost like they're uh, made of clay. So you can have some really scary stuff that those vampires can do, and they're part of the survive. So you can really go far off of the whole Lost Boys trope that is immediately assumed of the survive. Hey, first of all, the Lost Boys thing was a compliment. Second second of all, um, that's that's not that impressive. Darwin Kranos could do that just fine. You just right, push you enough right. on the they face. shift and undo the damage. <laughs> just push so, it And it'll be like clay. You, yeah. just, you just put enough pressure. That's not impressive. Just right. But punching. what if they do that to your kinfolk mother or your kinfolk father? I, well, yeah, I guess my, my, my kinfolk parents, that's weird, um, don't have uh, like special skin. So it would work. They're just people. Yeah, that's They're what just I'm saying. People. It would, it would definitely work. The next thing you know, your your mom or your dad is has been twisted in this monstrosity, and there you go. Look, look, that's a bad day. I'm just saying that <laughs> that the the fleshly clay thing's not so impressive. I've got enough strength for that. I can I can make it happen. I got the rolls behind that. I need no weirdo vampire magic. <laughs> um, that's about that. Yeah, but I think. we have but a yeah. something else. Oh no, no no yeah we're not. We're not done with the show, mm-hmm. but we are done with the show. Do we got a little? Right, right. We're gonna make that make sense <laughs> in a minute. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's actually our time for today. I know it seems like it's a little shorter, but you know, there's a little something extra to go. So first and foremost, I want to say, Grant, thanks so much for coming coming back on the show, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. You know, we're we're glad to have someone of your knowledge and, and your credentials to be able to talk to us because we've we've been thinking about this idea for a show for a long time, right, even right. right when we first started the podcast. So to be able to get someone like you, thank you for being here. Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we, we know we, we we knew we needed to do the leech episode. We knew we wanted to have have someone on for the show, and I think this just worked out well. Yeah, well, it worked out okay. So. <laughs> 
I mean, it's a vampire show. How good can it be? Yeah, so that's the problem with leeches, right? <laughs> right. Is that the show name? Yeah, I, dirty, dirty leeches. Is that the show name? Maybe the problem with leeches. What was that? I appreciate right? everyone listening to my uh, my accent, dealing with me and my ums. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be surprised how many of those don't make it to air. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> but, what are you talking about? Yeah, There's right. no editing on this show. It's crazy. <laughs> but you know, um, let's see. <laughs> Well, whether it's Savage Age related or just coming to hang out with us on another subject, you know, maybe we'll have you back. We can have you back sometime if you're interested. Absolutely. So a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, thanks. For, you know, it was. It is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Don't forget to check out, you know, Savage Age products, Storyteller's Vault, so you can see uh, more of Grant's work. We've been over that. You you, you were here last week. It's fine. <laughs> but while well, we're going to leave you. Mm-hmm. Well, when Chris heard, when Chris Gunning, over there weaponized anchor, we were having Grant on. He got, he got a little upset with us. Got a little jealous. Got a little jealous. <laughs> Just a little. He said, I, I need, I want to be here too. <laughs> so he had something to say. He, no, he does. He actually, there's a little project he's working on. Mm-hmm. and He's got to talk about vampires as well, you know. Right. He left out. He wanted to talk about vampires, but he didn't want to talk about leeches. What a jerk. Why? Well, because he's got his own thing. Ah, there we go. And so, because he couldn't be here with us on the day. Mm-hmm. We record a little something, and uh, we're going to share that with you guys right now. So enjoy that, and then we'll come back and say goodbye to you. And here we are, uh, supporter again, big shock, along with uh, Chris Gunning, who uh, wasn't about to be left out of this episode. How you doing, Chris? I am doing wonderful. Thank you very much, Porter. Yeah, it's, it, it felt odd not being on an episode for a little while, so I uh, begged you to uh, be able to come back. You heard him first. That was him. His words. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, back to back. This is a little unprecedented, but I mean, hey, we had so much fun the first time. Uh, yeah, but this time we got something a little bit different to talk about, don't we? Yes, indeed. You've got you've got a little uh, project of your own. Um, it's not werewolf related. This is this is one hundred percent your baby, correct? That's right. So I am working on my own uh, intellectual property called The Hammer and the Stake, which is a role playing game that I designed about a, a year back, and I've been tinkering with it and working on it. I shared it out with some friends, and they have encouraged me to, to put it up on Kickstarter. And so I've been doing a lot of research, working with contacts in mine in the role-playing game community, and making sure that I'm coming to this from an honest position. When we launch this Kickstarter for the Hammer and the Stake, I can look every one of any of the backers that are willing to put money forward onto this Kickstarter. I can virtually look every one of you in the eye and make sure that you know that I am dedicated to bring it to publish. So The Hammer and the Stake is a game about fighting werewolves in 1920s era Hungary. And it is as gonzo and bonkers as that sounds. It's been this great fusion of uh, historical research and exploring what vampirism and werewolves actually and what the occult looked like around the turn of the century, the last century, and putting it all together into a role-playing game that is designed mechanically to encourage the players to all be engaged in every single role and be cooperating with each other so that there's no sense of, well, I'm just going to roll my dice and nobody it doesn't really impact a whole lot of other people. I'm, I'm trying to get it to a point where when the dice roll, Everybody is looking at the outcome because everybody has a stake in the results of how those dice fall. Now that's, I mean, that's quite a bit. That sounds pretty interesting. You know, uh, we love werewolves here, obviously, and we have a relationship with vampires. And, you know, I'm a big lover of red meat. So that's, you know, hammer and stake already sounds great. Now tell me, you said werewolves, but, you know, hammer and stake, obviously, that that, that brings vampires to mind. Which, which is really at the forefront here? 
That is uh, that's a great question. So the answer is that there are socialist vampires. There are other occult elements that are running around in what we call greater Hungary. Uh, but at the very top of this vampire, and I'm calling it the cryptocracy, at the very top of the cryptocracy is Dracula himself. And it's been fun because I've been doing all this research into Dracula and what Bram Stoker was was intending with Dracula. In fact, a lot of Stoker's notes, his original notes for writing Dracula, uh, have come to light over the last like three three decades. And so I've been reading those personally. And so, yeah, it's this combination of socialists from various factions, some of them kind of like workers, some of them educated, some of them revolutionaries in the truest sense of the word, fighting against Dracula and his vampiric cronies. That's a pretty neat premise. Now, obviously, in doing this, um, I know you have your affinity for history and in getting things right. And obviously, this is an alternate, you know, there's speculative here. And, and I'm sure that, that you have gone above and beyond to give this world flavor. But I guess my, my first question becomes, how broad is this? Is, is this a worldwide thing, or what is the scope of the overall world of the game? So it is very much focused on a specific area of Europe, and so this area is Hungary and Romania. Your thoughts really mirror mine. I didn't want this giant vampiric worldwide conspiracy. I didn't want to recreate Vampire the Masquerade, and I should note uh, I did write for Vamp- Vampire the Masquerade many, many years ago. In fact, that was one of my first freelancing jobs. So I wanted to get back to vampires, but I wanted I wanted our own take on what vampires are. And and I didn't want it too big. I didn't want it overwhelming. I wanted to have a very focused setting. So the setting really focuses on Budapest, Buda and Pest, Hungary, Romania, and kind of the, the areas surrounding that. This is not worldwide. It eventually could be. But for the Kickstarter and for this core book, the, the focus really is on those two countries and exploring the implications of the end of World War One, of the Great War, of the, the socialist movement, of the hang, the holdovers of aristocratic thinking, the conflict therein. So basically the creation of modernity and what that looked like prior to like World War II, that, that era between World War One and World War II, that's one of the things that we're exploring. And then we get to explore some really cool occult stuff too, because you know the way that we interpret the occult has changed significantly since you know Stoker wrote his seminal piece. And so this is our opportunity to kind of go back to what people were thinking, reading from primary sources, pulling that stuff out, and making vampires really scary again. And and making werewolves. Like I said, werewolves are also part of this. I will tell you right now, anybody that is looking to play a player character werewolf in this setting, that is one of the times I'm going to look down my nose at you. We're looking at, at like vampires and the occult in general as bad. In the same way that people from the 1920s did. And so you play the characters of these socialists trying to push this country, which is ruled now by Dracula, which is regressivist, which is trying to reinstitute like a feudal style of government. And you are these desperate individuals coming from all walks of life, banding together, fighting against vampires, trying to tear down the state and create something new and better and collective. Uh, I will also mention, this is actually, in a very weird way, this is my ode to cyberpunk games. And let me explain that before everybody rolls their eyes at me, at least virtually. So I was looking at cyberpunk games and saying I didn't understand, in a lot of ways, why people were uh, playing cyberpunk games. And it, it wasn't about tearing down the state. There was no sense of movement. There was no sense of, of a mission. In the same way, like Werewolf the Apocalypse we've talked about has has this core mission to it. 
And I wanted to create a game that had this very clear core mission. And in this case, it is tear down the Dracula regime. And then I came to this whole idea that socialists were going to do it because they have a very clear philosophy as players and as game masters. We can kind of dive into that. The metaphor of vampires as capitalists, as these bloodsuckers of taking resources, you know, in terms of both blood and money and labor away from people. Those metaphors were already written and, and in many ways wrote themselves also expanded upon in the game. So I wanted a game that had a clear kind of cyberpunk version of confronting the state and tearing it down. And we designed the setting to do that. So there are clear good guys and there are clear bad guys. There's no ambiguity in that sense. When you encounter a vampire in the hammer and the stake, there's no question they need to be brought down. And you're going to work with the other player characters to bring that guy down. So that was kind of one of the core themes and the, one of the reasons I felt a need to write this game is I wanted that sort of confrontational mission, and I wanted it to be unambiguous. Which I think is a nice change of pace. Um, you know, especially when we look at the world of darkness, there is so many different shades of gray and so many, we use the term interpretations, and definitely a lot of opinions about those interpretations. So it's nice to have something that, that no, it, it's it's simply, these are the bad guys. And we don't have to question that and argue about that, fight about that. There's, there's a freedom to that, which I think is great. But let me ask you, what what is different than what we already know. I mean, people are going to come in here with a, with a background in vampire, obviously. And I know, so what don't we have there? I mean, I'm assuming we don't have the clans. You, you've got your own system. What, what else can they expect to not expect, I, sh I guess I should ask? So one of the things is, like I said, we went back to kind of the source material and analyzed what Stoker said Dracula could do, what vampires could do. And so one thing is vampires can walk around in the sunlight. That is, is a relatively new development, this idea that vampires had to fear the sun. So that exists. And we've modified it and looks like there's some debate in the in academic circles about if vampires had their full panoply of powers whenever they were out in the sun versus at, at nighttime. So we're interpreting it as, you know, vampires at night have more occult powers than they do during the day. So that's that's kind of one of the changes that people might need to wrap their, their head around is that vampires can operate during the sunlight, during daytime. We've also really kind of gone into the various occult powers. You know, Dracula was said to be able to, to manipulate the weather. So there are going to be vampiric powers out there that can manipulate the weather in a fairly large, grandiose scheme. This is part of what makes the cryptocracy, the Dracula government, so scary is that there are some really powerful vampires out there that can fundamentally change the way weather functions. And what are the implications for a government that can control the weather and a government that is hostile to its people? That's, that's uh, that wants cool. the people to be serfs. You know, if you can manipulate the weather, how do you use that to force people to be subservient and create them into servitude in the truest sense of that word? We do have kind of proto-clans. There are different types of vampires. There's the Jeriaki, which are the vampires that are created by Dracula and loyal to Dracula. There are the Bathoroi, which kind of like Elizabeth Bathory. We're going to explore them a little bit. There's the Vicorakos, which are Greek vampires. And they are generally working against each other. There's, there's this element, and I'm sure Vampire the Masquerade influenced me on this, which is the progenitor of other vampires has influence over them, and so there's these clan-like structures. It's unintentional on my part, but I guarantee that there's, if I look back at my thinking, there's going to be that influence there. Well, um, it's, it's, hard, it's hard not to do that. I mean, the same way that you can't really look at Masquerade without talking about St. Anne Rice. 
I mean, those influences are just going to be there, but this is clearly something that's uniquely your own. And there's a lot of heart behind this. I mean, we can hear you talk, the, the passion about it. And yeah. we know your work from Savage Age. So we know that this isn't a half-assed job. So let me ask you, you're dropping the Kickstarter. What is included with this Kickstarter? So we're going to produce limited run book. I want this game to exist as more than a PDF. And that's why I'm trying to Kickstarter. And that's why I'm going to be asking people to put their faith in me and put their money into the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter starts on June 2nd. We're going to be asking for about $12,000. Doing a bunch of research on how much it's going to cost to produce a book, how much it's going to be to get those books to people. As, as you probably well know, shipping and mailing right now is, is very much in flux. Oh, yeah. Um, Right. So I've been talking to a number of different companies that have been successfully getting role-playing books out to people. I've settled on one through Son of Oak, which is City of Mist, who have been really, really helpful in me, advising me. They've been basically serving as an advisor on how to get this done because they believe in the setting as well. So what you get is you'll either get the PDF at the lowest levels. You'll get the physical book at about $40. Right now we're planning on softback. If it goes well enough, we will certainly consider hardback. I will say, though, there's a part of me that actually wants it to end up as softback. I kind of want it to be this, like, tattered book. I want I want to build a book that the more it is loved, that if it gets creases in the covers or the pages, that actually makes it better, that makes it feel more authentic. I want to create a book, a physical book that is a prop for the setting. So one of the factions in our game in Hammer and Stake are the literati, which are these these like rebellious educators and academics who are running secret printing presses in Greater Hungary in illegal printing presses. And I want one of these books to feel like something along those lines, that it's well-loved potentially. And so there's a part of me that thinks that maybe soft cover is the best way to go. I will interact, though, with the people that are backing uh, hammer and stake to make sure that the decisions I make in terms of production reflect what people want. So, so and that's really, really important to me. We've got a 10,000 word adventure already worked up and ready to go. So you'll get, if you back at higher levels, you'll not only get the core book with all the setting and all the mechanics, pre-generated characters, NPCs, all that stuff in the core book, you're also going to potentially get a 10,000 word introductory adventure that's going to be able to dive you right into things. And then we've got a whole series of stretch goals, of course, because it's Kickstarter, we're going to have stretch goals Absolutely. that are about exploring, right? They're, it's about exploring greater Hungary. We've got supplement that's teed up on the werewolves, the Fastenjambr. We've got a stretch goal that's going to be about exploring the other types of vampires. We've got a stretch goal that's going to go deep into the Dracula government. So, you know, if you're familiar with White Wolf and you're familiar with Vampire the Masquerade or Werewolf the Apocalypse, then these will feel very similar, right? If we're going to this, this stretch goal about getting into the Dracula government, it's going to be a little bit like getting into the Camarilla, right? A, uh, a Camarilla book or something along those lines. It's, it's an, it'll be a deep dive into that stuff. And there's a whole lot of this setting I'm hoping to explore. But this Kickstarter is my way of verifying that my vision and my excitement for this setting translates over to other people. And ultimately, if it doesn't fund, so be it. But if it does fund well, we've got a lot of really cool and very exciting stuff. And, and I'll tell you, there's been a number of people that have come across the Quick Start. The Quick Start's already up on a drive-thru. And it's $2. It's pretty simple. It's 52 pages already. It's a pretty big document. You can dive into the mechanics. Now, see, I want to ask, um, because we did, I remember you released that bit on drive-thru. We, we uh, showed that through our Facebook What's what's the difference between that and what you're talking? I mean, is is that book going to be inside the the Kickstarter soft cover? 
In a lot of ways, yes. So the, the quick start right now has been my way of exploring and making sure that the mechanics that I have run and that I've written, that I've run and that I've play tested, translate to other people. You know, it's one thing when I sit down at a table, either virtually or in real life, and run a game because I built the system. So the quick start was designed to hand to people that I don't have necessarily any influence over to see if they can sit down and run the system successfully as well. And the answer is yes. There have been some rough parts, and that's why the quick start existed. It was originally about 25 pages long. It's now 52 pages long because there were requests from people for additional details, more examples, different types of mechanics. And so I've put that in there, and these have served as my stress test to make sure that this system is as good as it should be. It's also got some setting in there. It talks about uh, Budapest. It talks about Greater Hungary. But Kickstarter book is going to be a much bigger book. You don't get a lot of setting in the quick start. It's called the Worker's Primer. There's not a whole lot of setting. I think it's only about five pages total. For us to be able to dive into the setting, into the different types of vampires that are floating around in Greater Hungary, to explore the powers that they have, to explore the factions that are part of the Carpathian Revolutionary Front, which is the, the socialists you will play, up, play part of. I like that. That's all going to come up in the core book. We're also going to include new rules for creating the groups to make sure that there's a sense of unity. In a lot of ways, the pack generation and the way that people come together as packs in Werewolf the Apocalypse is absolutely influencing my desire to bring players together in the hammer and the stake. So there's going to be a lot more content, and it's going to be, I, I think if you're interested in the setting at all, if you're interested in exploring like 1920s era vampires and socialists fighting against each other, the core book for the Kickstarter is absolutely the way to go. Well, all right. It actually it sounds pretty fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm someone who loves a good alternate reality setting. I'm someone who obviously appreciates supernatural aspects. Uh, I, I like that this is a, a human-centric thing as a change of pace where I'm not, you know, we're not, we're not doing worlds. You're, you know, we're, we're the humans. It, it all sounds great. And uh, hopefully the, uh, our audience here agrees. And so I want to remind you guys that this Kickstarter is going, it's right, it's live, it's now. You can get, uh, the link will be there in the description of the episode. It'll be there on our homepage. We'll be, we'll be putting a post about it. Uh, there too you can find that link and click it and come on and support chris with the hammer and the stake you know uh any final thoughts sir i just anybody listening to this thank you very much this is going to be a big deal for me and i'm pretty excited about it i will admit that i'm also a little bit nervous about it i want to do right by everybody that's listening and if you're willing to give me a chance i would really appreciate it i, I will also mention though that savage age is going nowhere in fact, I'm, I'm still working on one book. We've got a bunch of other stuff that's going on. This is an expansion. The only reason I am exploring the Hammer and the Stick right now is because Savage Age and the people behind it, like Grant, like Case and Snow, like Brandon Stewart and others, have built this into a community that can survive and prosper in, in a way that I never imagined. And so I'm really proud of that. And that has allowed me to look and create uh, Hammer and the Stake with confidence that there is a team behind Savage Age that's going to keep it going, even if I'm, my focus is a little bit to the left. All right, great. Again, that Kickstarter, it's live right now. Go check it out, and um, that'll do it for here. Hey, thanks, Porter and Chris. <laughs> that, that, is, that is Hammer and Steak, and that is, that, that's the through the heart, not the on the plate. Like I said before, Kickstarter's going on right now. Go check it out. It, it actually sounds pretty cool, and you're talking about someone who generally doesn't for, you know, go away from Werewolf. That's going to be a good time. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I'm excited for it. Okay. Grant, you think so too? Yeah, it's going to be great. So you, you heard it. We all said it. 
Yeah. Go check, go check it out. Throw them some love. And we will see you. Well, Danny and I. Yep. <laughs> Danny and I will see you next week. Uh, we might have a familiar face of the studio finally. <laughs> I know what that's about. Who knows? Definitely not an episode that's been bumped like three times. <laughs> yeah, well, Inside Baseball. Uh, it was like three episodes just waiting to go on. We recorded that one in 97. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, Close um, enough, though. Right. On behalf of our, our good friend Grant, on, Chris, on behalf of Chris Gunning, Danny here, and Tom and myself, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your support. We love you to death. Take care of each other. Keep on howling, and we'll see you next time. Take it easy. Bye.